listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, sports pharmacy fans. Um, this episode is going to be just a little bit different than what we normally do. This is predominantly just going to be me talking um, and no guests, just me discussing a pretty important issue. And you can tell by the title um, why this is important to me. We'll get into it. Uh, what happened, some series of events. And I'll also kind of go into a little bit of why I decided to become a pharmacist because it'll kind of explain why this was so important to me. Uh, first, if you've missed it before, this is Dr. H. I'm your host. And generally speaking, we we really love to talk about, you know, anything related to, to sports and pharmacy and um, everything around it and how to be a better leader. Um, that's just a little bit about the podcast. But today I want to dive a little bit into the opioid crisis. Um, this episode may not be for everybody, and I completely understand that, but I just thought getting this information out there is just as important. Um, I will have a hard time getting through portions of this. As I told you, it will be unedited. And especially when I kind of get into the story of why I became a pharmacist, it's uh, it's it's still tough for me to talk about. Even you know when I when I graduated, even sorry, my first year of college is kind of when everything went down. So that's what two thousand four, two thousand five, almost twenty years ago, and it still affects me the same way. Um, so a little bit of backstory. So yesterday, um, so sorry, today is four seven, uh, April 4, April seventh, two thousand twenty three. It's uh, currently six thirty in the morning, Central Standard Time. Um, I am here in Texas, and. Yesterday, Thursday, I was at my local barbershop, uh, the same barbershop I visit every two weeks. Been going to the same barber for the last six, seven years. Uh, he's, I'm, I'm friends with his family. I go out to eat with his family. He's friends with my family. We've, we've been around each other for a really long time. Um, I was there, normal day, getting my hair cut. Um, his brother-in-law uh, happens to be a barber in the same shop at the chair next to him. And his bar, he his. Uh, I'm not going to say any names. We're going to leave names out of this. Um, he was um, he was cutting a gentleman's hair, and I heard my barber mention something about him being a local police officer. Um, and it's in a city here uh, in the in the Texas area that has gotten some some bad rep recently uh, because of some drug overdoses. Um, I am not really into the news. I don't check out the local news. I really don't care what, you know, the media has to say, politicians has to say, really doesn't affect me. I get most of my news from from Twitter um, for stuff that are important to me. Um, so the gentleman was telling me, and I was just kind of listening to the story a little bit about um, some of the challenges he's been going through. So I will tell you, this police officer does work as a, uh, as a school police officer um, at a local middle school. Middle school, that's important to the story, is, is what, I'm, what I want to make sure we include in there. Apparently, in this city, recently, there has been a large increase in drug overdoses in middle school kids. I, I, I want that to sink in a little bit. And it's, it's crazy to think about how 6th, 7th, and 8th graders are overdosing on fentanyl. The word is fentanyl. Not fentanyl, not fentanyl, none of that. It's fentanyl. It is a common medication used for extreme pain patients, usually in a patch or at an injection. And it's for patients that have failed other therapies that need something to take long-term. Okay, so it's long-term medication. Most of the time, the way that I've seen it, especially in the community pharmacy, it comes in a patch. 
And these patches are have a matrix on them to help dissolve medication slowly. The dosage is so low that it's in the microgram microgram numbers. That's that's how low it is. I know it's a hot topic right now, fentanyl coming across the border or how much they're seizing at the border. Obviously, whatever it is, is not enough. Like I know politicians will tell you all day that, hey, we've seized XYZ amount of fentanyl. But clearly, if it's an issue here in Texas, then it's still a problem in middle school kids. Anyway, I'm talking to him and I asked him, you know, when did he start seeing the large increase in in overdoses and he said it started probably around November is when they started seeing the the increase. Since November, him as a school police officer, he's had to administer Narcan, which is a uh, opioid reversal medication given to anyone that's going through an opioid overdose nasally 32 times to middle school kids. 32 times to middle school kids. One teacher noticed one of her students was snoring in class. She thought she was just sleeping. Turns out she was actually choking on her own spit from a fentanyl overdose. How these kids are getting it is probably one of the more disturbing things. Their drug dealer lived approximately less than a quarter mile away from the school. And there is video evidence of these children, sixth, seventh and eighth graders, leaving the house with drugs from that drug dealer. I, I, I almost don't know what to think. Like I, I was in school, I was in middle school. I was, you know, oblivious to the world, still trying to figure out how my 13 year old body works. And these kids are getting fentanyl from a drug dealer in a house near the school that easily. Apparently this, uh, this drug dealer was making fake Percocet medications, Percocet being oxycodone with his, that's cut with acetaminophen. Um, instead of using oxycodone, he was using fentanyl and the kids thought they were getting Percocet. Now I know there's been a lot of publicity and, you know, rappers talking about, you know, Molly Percocet this, whatever it is and glamorized it for, for people to, to think that it's really cool to do or, Maybe they sustained some sort of injury and this is the only way they know how to treat it, that kids are licking tablets and getting it. I know the price. Each tablet they're getting, a Percocet, uh, excuse me, quote unquote Percocet, is $10 a tablet. Kids are licking that because they, are, they have an addiction problem. And that's the only way that they can function is to use a tablet, don't take the whole thing, lick it so it lasts longer for them. That's what our kids are going through right now. In my, in my, near, near my city, in my state with me as a wellness pharmacist having to listen to this. And there's only so much that we can do to educate, you know, nurses, teachers, police officers on the use of Narcan, naloxone, Narcan uh, nasal spray um, without it having, you know, ramifications, right? So one of the one of the things we'll talk about, you know, with solutions is how much education is coming to our resource officers or coming to our guidance counselors or coming to nurses within the school is how much are we educating them on what's really going on. Moving forward. So the, the, the officer was telling me a little bit more about, you know, just some stories that that he's had to deal with. And, and, you know, that Narcan saved that little girl's life that was allegedly snoring in the back of her, of her class because they were able to administer it, but she was dead for six minutes. 
six minutes that a eighth grader was dead due to a fentanyl overdose in a school, in the classroom, in the middle of class. I, I don't know. I don't know how this could happen. Um, that drug dealer, they caught him. He had 90,000 tablets that he made himself. And I can tell you, as a compounding pharmacist, it is very difficult to make tablets. We would much rather make capsules because all you got to do is just fill the capsule and move on. With the tablet, you have to press it. You have to seal it. It has to be cooked. It's, it's a whole process that people have to go through. And this guy who, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speculate on the type of person that he is, who probably you know, doesn't have the, the college education, the education that we pharmacists have, none of that was able to make it, make it look like a Percocet tablet. That's just mind boggling to me is that how much work you go into to make it look like a Percocet tablet, but instead you're using fentanyl. And back when I was in school, fentanyl was super expensive, very difficult to find. Like you really only found it in uh, ICUs when patients are, you know, going through, you know, their, their, their sets of pain with whatever trauma they had to go through and select pharmacies. I can, I've worked at many pharmacies my entire life, and there's been maybe a handful that a fentanyl is actually carried in that pharmacy. That's how rare it was. And I told you, we were talking about doing microgram dosing. Do I think a drug dealer is able to dose things using micrograms? Micrograms, that's a thousandth of a gram. That's, that's bizarre to me. And I'm going to trust him that he has a, weigh, a weighing a scale that's been certified that he's able to make these tablets? No, it's happening in our neighborhoods, guys. It's happening all around us. And we're witnessing it now. And we as pharmacists have to be the front runner for this. Um, and now I'm, I'm going to get into a story that's a little bit difficult for me. And I'm not going to mention any names in this because I don't, I, I don't want to implicate anybody. And names are not important in this. It's just my story as to why I became a pharmacist. And, you know, my close friends, my wife know all about this. And I asked a few people if they thought this was a good idea for me to do. And I just I think it's important. Um, my first year of college, um, I was at UNC Greensboro, and I was still trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do with my life. And my best friend, and I'll tell you my best friend, his name is Andrew, good guy. He's in, uh, he's in Africa right now serving. Um, not sure where, but I just, he's, he's out there somewhere. Um, he called me while I was in school, and the weekend before I went out with him and some of our other friends, some close friends, like very, very close friends, um, we went out, you know, just normal, crazy stuff, going to Waffle House at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. And I'm just out there enjoying our life, being cool, man. That's that's what it was all about back then. Um, and we had one of our friends who was with us. And I really I really didn't know what to ex like look for in these situations. But um, Andrew called me on that Monday at school. I remember I was walking in the quad. I was actually going to my psychology class and he called me and told me that one of the friends that were with us uh, that night um, overdosed on uh, opioid medication. Um, he comes from a really good family. Um, his his younger brother is still one of my one of my one of my best friends that I keep up with, and um, I had to hear from Andrew about how he was in the hospital um, because of a drug overdose and he was uh, unconscious and. That day, I remember I, I left school, um, met up with Andrew. We went to the hospital, and um, I saw him there. And I, I I couldn't even speak to words. I mean, two days before, we were sitting at a Waffle House in in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, just just chilling, man, like just being bros. Like that's 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 all we used to do. And to to see um, 
him like that and see his family and see everything around him. And this, this kid was like a high school athlete, a star in high school. Like he was so cool. He wouldn't even talk to me in high school, man. That's, <laughs> that's how cool he was. And he was a good guy. And, um, a day or two later, he, uh, he passed away from an, from an opioid overdose. Um, that shook me. That, messed me up, man. I, I, I didn't know what to think. I was like, I didn't know anything about it. I knew that like drugs are bad from, you know, all the dare stuff we used to do back in the day. And I had to listen and see his family go through that. And even at the funeral, uh, his younger brother, who I said is like one of my really good friends, he sang a song, man, and played the piano in front of everyone in the, in the funeral. That was just heartwarming, man. I just, I, I remember it vividly. I remember standing there listening to him and seeing the pain in him and his sister and his mom and dad. And and I, I remember how much that affected me. This is not even a family member of mine. This is just a really good friend. I can't imagine a parent hearing about how their child overdosed on pain medication. I just I, I can't I can't I can't fathom that. And after after what happened with Adam, I knew for me that I had to do something around for my career around, you know, drugs. And I thought maybe that was, you know, working for the DEA or, you know, like that. It wasn't until that my uh, my friend Bennett, who was going through the curriculum with me, I knew I was a biochemistry major at the time and who was going through the curriculum with me that he introduced me to pharmacy and got me a job in my first pharmacy. And, and, and I went from there. And even in pharmacy school, I, I specialized in drugs of dependence. I took courses outside of the curriculum at VCU um, to, to, to understand how, you know, these medications work. I volunteered at the DA at the police office with uh, police stations, drug take back programs. I give I currently give high school talks now to tell patients and parents and students what to look for in an opioid crisis. If you see a patient that's been you know dependent on um, a pain medication and I I I love doing that. I love teaching parents how to be safe, how to show, uh, how, how to how to how to improve patient quality and and making sure they're well educated around both the use of naloxone, uh, excuse me, Narcan, and what to look for in their kids if they're starting to see signs of an opioid addiction. Um, this hit close to our sports pharmacy team because you know a lot of these kids are getting injured and doctors are putting them on pain medications, which they rightly should. I, I am all for the safe use of pain medication because it pain sucks, man. I've, you can see what it does to people, but there has to be an education that comes with it or tighter restrictions around, you know, patients being able to get pain medication. And, you know, Texas, they've done a really good job with um, different checks that we do to, to make sure that patients aren't overusing the medication, but it's still people are going around it. I have fake doctors, quote, doctor and patients call in a prescription to a pharmacy and say, oh, yeah, this is for my patient, blah, 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 where I look at the caller ID and they're the patient. They're literally calling in a fake prescription for themselves and expect me to just fill it and then distribute it to them. Luckily, being an independent world, I have time to, to check on these things, whereas, you know, at a busier pharmacy, like one of the chain ones, it's pharmacists don't have time to check these sort of things and it takes a little bit of time. Um, so we're, we're trying to do our best with double checking everything that comes through a pharmacy. But the main issue here is that we have drug dealers making their own tablets and 
kids are buying them for a $10 a tablet just to be able to, you know, either help an addiction or be cool. That's, that's really the only two options that I can think of is that maybe they do have an, under, and, and you know, an addiction is a real thing. It's a real, I, I know back in, you know, older days, it was like, nah, it's just a mental thing. No, I mean, it's, it's a diagnosable disorder that patients go through. And I've seen it firsthand and experienced around people around me firsthand. And um, it's, it's an epidemic. It's something that is going, going to get worse. I don't see it getting any better. They, they, they stopped the man that had 90,000 tablets of Percocet made. And they thought, oh, yeah, this is the main guy doing it. And it's still a problem. It's still going to be a problem. But we have some resources that can help with... Uh, what to look for in an opioid addiction, where, who to talk to specifically. I mean, it's tough for these kids, man. They don't want to rat their friends out. And I get it. Like, you don't want to be the, the person that said, oh, old Timmy here has, uh, is getting pills from some shady house down the street. And we just have to sit there and, 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 and not say anything about it. That's got to be tough. Um, to me, educating the guidance counselors, making sure officers are well-trained around uh, naloxone and, and Narcan administration, um, making sure that we're teaching parents, man, going to PTA meetings. And the best information has to come from us pharmacists. Uh, I, I appreciate everyone else trying to get their info out there, but we are drug experts. We are the people that have the education behind us, that doctor in front of our name, doctor of pharmacy. That's what we're here for. I can push pills all day, like in a pharmacy at work. That's fine. But we have a civic and community duty to help our patients, help our community. And me being here in Frisco, it's, it's so important to me. And I, I offer up my services to, you know, the mayor, the city, the Prosper ISD, Frisco ISD, any ISD. I've already given these talks to, to churches, to mosques, to synagogues. I have been to Christian schools. I've been to Muslim schools. I have been everywhere that I could. And I will make a presentation for you. I will make your presentation for you just for you to go out there and give the talk. I will not promote myself. I will not say I made this, none of that. It's all about getting the education out there. I am willing to give up myself to do that. Um, I have a couple of friends that are in the media now that I'm, I will share this podcast with them because I, I, want, I want this information out there. I want people to know what the signs and symptoms are of, a, of what, what to look for in a person that looks like they're dependent on opioid. And easy couple of easy things just to remember is that if you see a sudden change in behavior, a sudden change in appetite. One thing the police officer told me is that the guidance counselor came up and told him in the school that, oh, like, it looks like all these kids are, are really losing weight. They're like really caring about their weight. No, that's drug addiction. That was one sign right there that a guidance counselor missed, which is, you know, no, no fault of their own because they don't know. Um, that was one of their signs there. Even the police officer had no idea until somebody educated them to do it. Um, we have a duty here uh, as pharmacists to, to educate to show, to teach, be a part of the community. Um, for you independent pharmacy owners out there, this could be something really easy to get your name out there. Um, I have all my social medias in the uh, in the description. You guys can find me anywhere at Dr. Mixalot, um, anywhere you find me. Um, I, I do own Stonebriar Pharmacy here in Frisco. Uh, feel free to reach out to anyone there. We'll all, any, anybody on my team will will uh, give you an email address if you need me. But if, if, if you are interested in helping out and maybe giving these talks to, um, to schools and, and religious facilities, uh, please reach out to me on my socials as the best way to find me. Um, 
I really appreciate y'all's time with this. And I, 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 I know it was a little bit different, but I, I really just had to get this information out there. Um, I hope you guys stay well, stay hydrated, and I'll catch y'all next time. Thank you.